0: The name Angelo Agrizi should be familiar to all South Africans. He's uh, famously the guy who tore open state capture at the State Capture Commission. He's certainly the one that led us in on the extraordinary story of Bosasa and the story of how Gavin Watson and a number of people who were involved with him ripped off the state and managed to bribe endless numbers of politicians to do exactly what they needed to do, to stay in business, to thrive in business, and there were small payouts that were a very uh, negative result of that. But for the politicians who were receiving them, it was uh, it was the whole reason that they were in politics. I'm very very pleased to have him on the show today. We've uh, we've all heard of his first book, Inside the Belly of the Beast, but this is his second book, which is called Surviving the Beast. It came to me at my office with a really extraordinary and intricate press release, full of all kinds of goodies. And I think the story that Angelo Gritzi is telling, both in his first and his second book, is something that we need to pay attention to here in South Africa. In January 2019, he made his first appearance, testify at the Zondo Commission, and his ongoing testimony continues to be heard and forms the heart of much of what we know about state capture. So, Angelo, first of all, I'm glad you're alive. I know you've Thank you. A, I know you've spent a huge amount of time in, in ICU and uh, that you were poisoned. And I'm, I'm curious as to, first of all, how you're feeling, because I heard that you couldn't uh, testify in person uh, the last time they asked you to come. Are you feeling better?
1: Yeah, I'm getting there slowly, but surely. I mean, it's a long long haul, you know. Um, yeah. I, I, I feel better, but uh, you know, it's oxygen and it's tablets and it's injections and it's the whole rigmarole. You know, I can hardly walk on my feet. And, uh, yeah, so doing an interview and that for an hour, maybe two hours, you know, I can push myself from that. But then yeah. you know, after that, I'm buggered for the rest of the day. So, unfortunately, I don't have the energy levels I used to have in that type of sure. thing.
0: Here. So, Angelo, first of all, I mean, being a whistleblower in this country, they keep telling us that whistleblowers are heroes. But if you could go back and, and switch it off and do something different, would you have done any different? Because your life really has become a whole lot worse, a whole lot more complicated. And people have been calling you things. You've had to deal with a huge amount of opprobrium on social media. Uh, A whole lot of people have been trying to kill you. Uh, Life has not got better for you since being a a whistleblower, despite what they say in the press about, you know, be a whistleblower, be a hero, save the country. It's probably impacted on you in a really negative way if you take it all into consideration.
1: Most definitely. I mean, if you look at it, Jareth, I mean, um, what we did was we went out there and we told the truth. and Nobody's ever questioned that. Nobody's ever questioned what we've said out there. Um, and yes, life has been very difficult for all the whistleblowers. I mean, you must remember that after they arrested us in, in February, just after my test me, my first love test me, uh, the other whistleblowers all got cold feet. They all, and rightfully so, because they saw what was happening to us. Um, you know, there we were being arrested for telling the truth, for going out there yeah. and, and being honest with everybody. And uh, yeah, you know, it, it, it's been very hard for all the, all the whistleblowers. Unfortunately, we lost one of our stalwarts as well to COVID. And uh, yeah, but
0: uh, it's been a fight and a battle. Listen, I, I I want to go back into the story in a minute, and we'll talk a bit about Basasa and and find out about your relationship with Gavin Watson and various other if. people in politics. I don't want to necessarily go over the testimony you've already given, which people um, who are, who are interested, and I hope it's a lot more people than are disinterested, because otherwise our country's in even more shit than we think. You're right. um, but I, but I'm interested in your own story. So so just tell us a little bit about you. You know, kind of where you come from, your family background, a little bit about your own history, and and much of this you cover in your first book. But give it to us for people who don't know anything yet might want. In a to nutshell, mm. fourteen years
1: old. I started working in a place called Germiston of all places. Grew up yes. in Germiston. My mother was a nurse. My father was an electrician, and uh, my father was an immigrant. My mother was South African. And uh, yeah, I grew up working in a bakery and then into the restaurant trade, did my stint at hotel school and got expelled from hotel school because I didn't want to, I I wasn't at studies, I was always working because I needed to earn money. And um, from there, started a restaurant and then into the industrial catering for the mining industry. From the mining industry, I then got involved with uh, some facilities management companies. And from that, I then happened to join up with PASASA or younger those years, as it was called. And I have right. I, I, I basically ran operational management for Basasa for the better part of 20 years. And uh, my responsibilities were all operational, quality control management, and uh, delivering, delivering a product um, that the client paid for. So in terms of the service delivery, and you'll pick it up, Darren. Uh, wherever you go, people will tell you that, uh, Gareth, um, that the service delivery was impeccable. And there was always um, whatever we, we said we'd give, we gave.
0: So, Angela, I mean, this is not a, this is a humble story of someone who really worked hard to get ahead <laughs> and someone who had, who had to earn everything that they got in their lives. It's also not the yeah. story of someone who was involved with gangsters and, 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 and bad people or, or, you know, tried to wheedle his way into politics or into business. You, you kind of, everything you did along this path, was a story many of us can be familiar with. It's probably the story of many other South Africans. So when it all ended up in this extraordinary web of deceit that is Bosasa, and we'll unpack that in a second, it must have been shocking, not just to everyone around you, but to you. I mean, this is not something you wanted to be involved in. This is not something that you knew about from the outside. You're 100% right. But you see what happens, Gareth, is that it slowly encompasses you.
1: it slowly it starts off with, with Gavin Watson saying, yes, 10,000 rand, uh, go buy your kids something nice. And then it's, mm-hmm. it's cash, and then it's this, and it's that, and it's this. And slowly, slowly, you get, you get caught, caught in, this, in this miry pit, the, uh, you know, vipers, and yeah. you're stuck in this. And then when you try and get out, you, you get cautioned, and you get told, well, listen, yeah, there's a brotherhood here, and mm-hmm. uh, there's a pact between us. And please don't break the pact. I'll, I'll never forget being called to the Michelangelo by the brothers, okay? I called them the brothers, the Watson brothers. And at the mm-hmm. Michelangelo, I was sat down and I was told categorically, look, you're either in the pact or you're out the pact. If you're out the pact, walk now and, and we'll deal with it. But if you're in the pact with us, then you've got to stand with us through thick and thin. And, and that's what happens. And, and, you know, but when you start, when you move out of that pact, all hell breaks loose. You know, then... Then you have the taping incidents, you have uh, blackmailing, you have threats, you have that all that type of thing. I mean, we've, we've gone through a lot of threats as whistleblowers and messages on our no. car windows. Um, you know, the, the gangsters that approached us that we, you know, that we had to confront face, face to face. Um, yeah. You know, the shoots of the world, that type of thing. Uh, not pleasant. I mean, the hijackings, they're staged. Um, if you go through the book you read, uh, if you scan the QR codes, which is why I put them there, that you can yes. actually hear the director saying, Listen yeah, tell Angelo, we don't want to have another funeral. You better keep quiet. Or, uh, you know, to warn Angelo that if he, he carries on talking at the Zona Commission, we will actually, um, you know, open up a prison cell door and get a prisoner to come and deal with him. Things like that. So that's what we've been through, yeah. But that's you know, the cult environment it is, you know, just I, I, like I'm any sorry. other cult.
0: I'm so glad you brought up those QR codes because it's something that I haven't seen in a lot of books and it's really quite original. And what it does also is it gives people access to the first-hand information that so many books have to transcribe, some of them have to rely on secondary sources. You can go straight to the stuff. And I think it's fascinating for people who really want an insight into how this this uh, state capture world and the criminal underworld and the the kind of nefarious business that is done. I say business in inverted commas because it's really just yeah. corruption. Um, but the fact that you let us into that, and we can actually hear the voices of these people is quite jarring. I mean, I've, I've read books before where you can imagine stuff, but you don't actually hear the voice the way that you had to hear it the first time you pressed play on a voice note, for example. I, I do want to ask you about these Watsons because, yeah. you know, they've they've tried to cultivate a reputation for themselves. You know, Cheeky Watson in the Eastern Cape and rugby was always something that 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 many of us knew about. But we didn't really know about Gavin. We didn't know about his brother. We didn't really understand what their business was. And I think a lot of South Africans thought they were maybe, you know, slightly politically connected, definitely political people who, you know, made it good by just making friends in the right places. What was your first impression of the Watsons, and and how did that change over time?
1: You know, I was very impressed at at first, uh, because right from the onset, I worked with a a grouping called Malope Foods, and they were in direct competition to Malope, and I would have instances where uh, Gavin Watson's team, marketing team, would pitch up at minor hostels that we were running, and they would do a lot of marketing there, and they would hand out T-shirts, and typical electioneering-type marketing, where they would try to get the contract. So I was very impressed, Gareth. I really, honestly believed that they had something going as a B company. They were women involved with it. I liked the ideology. I liked the fact that they were empowering women. That's what mm-hmm. it was shown to me, and that's what I believe. And um, so, so, right from the onset, when I when I first got involved with them, I was actually really impressed. I must say, I actually, you know, when I when I sat down with Gareth and I had the first meeting with him and discussions with him, I actually thought he, he was onto something great here. Um, already then he was, you know, slating Sir Ramaphosa because Sir Ramaphosa was with the Malope group. So, you know, I, I picked up the, those nuances there. But, yes, the fact that he could speak fosa fluently and that the brothers could speak Possa fluently, I was impressed with that they got yeah. on with, with the people in NUM. I'll never forget in, in early 2000 where he picks up the phone and he phones up Archie Pilani from NUM and says, listen, sort out, get me a meeting with Gwede Mantashev. Uh, and we go to the meeting with Gwena Mantash, and here he is, he is, and he's talking to Gwena Mantash, and he seems to be commanding this respect. So I honestly believe that, you know, this guy was very, very influential politically. And then I realized this whole political thing was, to me, just a front, just a front to do business. And I'll tell you why. If you have a look at Basasa, if you have a look at um, any of the companies within Basasa, They all were politically uh, powered BE companies and that. They appeared that Mm -hmm. way, but they weren't. Mm -hmm. There were agreements, side agreements, and that. So when it boiled down to the nitty gritty, the only shareholder there was, in fact, Gabby Watson or the Watson Family Trust.
0: Well, you know, what interests me so much about this is that there's probably a lot of it going on that we still don't know about. There there certainly was at that time. It wasn't just Basasa. It seems so easy to pull the wool over these ANC idiots' eyes. I mean, they were all quite venal. They would have taken, I remember you talking about Nomvula Mokonyane and a box of meat. And I remember hearing about these kind of small-scale bribes. You know, these are not professional Racketeers or criminals. These are just very low-level people who basically give them a free thing. They'll do whatever you want. You can change policy. You can get a tender awarded. It's 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 a it's a worse reflection. I mean, obviously the the real criminal and evil intention is on the people who are stealing the money, i.e., Gavin Watson. But it seems to me like a lot of these political people are so basic. They're so embarrassingly basic that they would take just about anything in terms of bribes you know 10 grand here uh you That's know a cheap uh, a reduction on a price on a car uh you know a packet of groceries it really wasn't high scale you know 50 million rand into a bank account in Switzerland or you know moving money around in property in the far east it was uncomplicated it was it was for simpletons frankly and you almost feel like these guys saw a gap and they took it and if it wasn't against the law, you'd almost applaud them for it.
1: Yeah, well, you're right. You're 100% right. But then you've got to bear in mind, there was between five and six million rand in cash going out of that company for bribes a month. You know, Jeez. I mean, there's people that have got a million rand a month. I mean, the, the wow. classic one is you see Papa Le Shabani standing with two bank security bags. I don't know if you've got your book, you, you must have gotten a mm. security bag. That's exactly yes. the same bag yeah. that uh, Gavin Watson would pack the cash in. Uh in one bag, you'd fit in <laughs> 200 Rand notes, you would get at least half a million rand in there. Um, and yes, Papalashvadi had two bags behind him, and he would claim a million rand a month. Simple as that. Jeez. The argument when, when he was um, confronted with the, with the picture is, well, no, it was clothing samples that he had behind his bag. Um, but yes, uh, you know, that's six million rand going through a company and then divvied up, and some people would get five, ten thousand rand I mean, if you ever look at what the, the, um, the NDPP acting, uh, Father
0: Jeeva was getting,
1: she was getting 100,000 rand a month. But, yeah. but the 100,000 rand a month captured the state. Yeah, it, it the didn't. Uh,
0: I mean, it's, it, it's, it's cheap for the kind of power that they wield and the kind of influence that they had. So Gavin Watson, because I'm, I'm sorry if I'm stuck on this a little bit, but sure. Gavin Watson, he always looked to me like, and I never met the guy. Um, he always looked to me like one of those charismatic pastors, like yes. someone who was, you know, almost like a, an oily, unctuous second hand car salesman. And I've never fallen for people like that, but they can be tremendously charming. And as you say, he was probably very, very impressive for people who met him for the first time. But when did you start picking up that this guy was actually bad news and he had a very nasty streak and he and he he took he took absolutely no um, guilt or compunction in making other people's lives a misery if he wanted to.
1: Well let's have a look at it. I mean very simply, in two thousand and one he he basically took Hilda and Dude and the woman, he screwed them out of their shares. I mean it's no. open, it's been written about in the Basos of Billions. Adrian Basson writes about it. So there he took he took the first person. I started realizing it in about 2012, 2013. And that's mm-hmm. when it really started getting bad and and Gavin would just, you know, it, do stupid things. And I would try and caution him. He just wouldn't listen. Um, and eventually it got to a stage where, you know, I just sat back. And I said, well, I'll run the operations. You do the marketing. Do whatever you have to do. All right? Um, so in 2012, 2013, and then really the, the, the final for me was in 2016. In 2016, I basically put it down to him and I said to him, that's it. I've had enough. And I resigned in August. And uh, then I was promised, look, come back. Uh, We're changing things. We're not going to do bribes anymore and all that type of thing. And then I found out that he was trying to um, buy carves for Jacob Zuma, you know, him and a chap by the name of Lou Persona, um, that had got a record that I didn't know about. And, um, you know, Lou Persona and Gavin Watson tried to corrupt, or he was corrupt already, but get Jacob Zuma on their side, which explains why Gavin could go down to Nkandla and command
0: Uh, the person to do things for you. You know, uh, people who know more about this stuff than me, and certainly you explain it in your book, you you say how it becomes just a way of doing things. This is a way of getting things done in business. And you just have to bribe the right people and you have to keep some cash in a big room. I mean, the descriptions that you've given of the kind of money that was flowing around is just to ordinary people who work hard for a wage, and most people, I mean, they say that in order to be rich in South Africa, you only need to take home twenty to 30,000 rand a month. That's what qualifies as rich. But the sort of money you're talking about is, you know, 500 times what anyone at that wage or salary level would ever see in a year. Yeah. Um, it, it, it must have been extremely sexy. It must have been extremely alluring. And even for someone who is born and raised in an honest household and someone who knows when wrong is wrong and right is right this must have seemed like the way that business was done because if these powerful guys are able to pull it off and you know you can speed dial jacob zuma and you can call up nomgobojiva and people like that you must have thought well this is clearly how it's done this is this is what happens in this business so for a while you must have felt i'm in the right place i have yeah. a chance here to make to make some serious money this is how South Africa works. I'm going to be part of this. When did it all flip, though, for you? When did you start thinking, oh, my God, I could be implicated in crime. I could, be, I could be someone who's on a target list here. I could be in very serious trouble. This could ruin my family's lives. When did that happen?
1: Well, that happened in early August 2016. So in August 2016, I said, well, that's it. I've had enough of this. I spoke to the family. And I decided, that's it, I'm walking away from this. Unfortunately, my own stupidity, loyalty, uh, Chicky Watson and myself had a good relationship. He came and visited me, and he wanted to, um, you know, have a chat with me. And eventually he spoke a hole in my head, and I was promised that this thing would turn. I then went back. By November, I remember I sent an email, and I think I've got a copy of it there, where I said to Gavin, this is not working, um, this is not what you promised me, and I'm not happy. And Gavin just responded, turbulent times. I then carried on, it was my family, my, my son got married, I had people from overseas here, and um, Dr. Smith called me in, and old Dr. Smith I, I trusted, and I, I saw him as a mentor, he had cancer, and he called me into his house, on the 16th of December, on public holiday, and uh, he sat me down, and he spoke to me, and um, I said to him, I said, Doc, that's me then, I'm not going back. And then what happened was, you still debate this with yourself and that. On the 25th of December, I went into hospital, I took myself in. I'd been walking around, I hadn't been feeling well, and they found a tumor on my heart. So they said, Well, we've got to remove it, we've got a 50 50 chance. I went into a coma, I crashed from the table, they got the tumor out eventually, and um, in the process of that, I was in a coma, in an induced coma. Mm-hmm. I came out of the coma, and we found out that um, Gavin Watson had tried to claim my life insurance, the key man insurance. <laughs> on me. So that was 35 million rand. And um, and that was a the decision then that I then took to say, well, I'm not going back. And eventually, after a whole process, eventually the my official uh, dis- disconnect with the company happened in March. Um, but I didn't go back at all. I, I just refused to go back um, and yeah that happened then and then gavin called me in and said look i'm going to sort out things here yeah? i'm going to clean up this company um but please you know just just stay at home relax don't do anything um you know uh, don't 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 open the can yet all right let me mm-hmm. fix up things and i said to him i said gavin you know quite honestly i'm not happy and uh, then there were other whistleblowers that had been targeted so then i had to call in and i must say the one group that stood up and stood by our side was Solidarity. And they oh, yeah. stood by our side and they helped some of the other whistleblowers. Obviously, they couldn't help everybody.
0: When um, you say helped, uh, like what kind of help?
1: Well, Advice, legal advice and, and protecting them, really. Um, you know, they tried to, i give an example, they, there was there's even a murder involved in this whole thing mm. that was covered up as well in terms of uh, one of the whistleblowers' brother. That was actually murdered. We know, we know, we know. He was poisoned. He ended up murdered. Anyway, um, they used a lot of dodgy characters, these motorbike gangs and that, they used them. Um, and they paid them heavily to, to keep hmm. us quiet or try to keep us quiet. They got to the stage where there was one gentleman, Andres Diaga, who was employed by the Watsons to intimidate us, that I ended up going to. I heard he was in hospital. And I actually went to hospital to go and confront him. With uh, another whistleblower Spantone, And we warned him And he turned around to us in bed And he looked at us and said well, I'm just getting paid to do a job What can you do? So we left the guy, and, and it's like Mikey Schultz Mikey Schultz was offered money He, he wanted to kill us That's the rumour we got So we confronted him It's in, in the belly of the beast We confronted mm. him and said Listen, you want to shoot me? Please just don't mislike the kebbles Alright? Uh, sure said, oh, Please, you know, shoot me right here Met him outside the school he picks up his kid and I say, Here I am. He was with his cohorts there, and uh, nothing's ever happened to that. He's been very quiet. So, you know, there's there's been a lot of that. And with the Watsons, quite simply, I mean, they're annoyed with me. There's the wind farm, which they bypassed every single rule in the book in terms of the EIA. Um, mm-hmm. They, they try to get people to sign it off. It was shut down. They're they, They just break rules, and because of their political connections, they think they can get away with it.
0: Now, they they did think they could get away with it. How far did their tentacles reach? Because you mentioned the NPA, which is obviously, you know, they're they're the ones who kind of have all the scope to decide what they're going to prosecute and what they're not going to prosecute. Now, if, if you've captured the NPA, the National Prosecuting Authority, you don't really have to worry about the law, do you? Because... They're the only ones who can issue a a, a charge or a warrant. And they're the only ones who can go after people who've broken the law. And if you've got them on your side, you're kind of immune.
1: That's exactly what happened. You explained to me, Gareth, how is it possible that you could get the docket on the saucer? It was given to me personally. At the Sheridan Hotel by Dudu Miani. How did Dudu Miani get access to that docket? And it's proven because the, the investigators, and they're really shocked, at the commission, I must give them that Went, Frank Dutton and the team there Went, they took the, the documents That I'd given them, because I'd taken photos Of the documents, and they compared mm-hmm. them They picked up the carpet in the background Of the photograph, in the Sheraton The date and time stamp When they checked, Dudumieni mm-hmm. had been booked in there So all the evidence was there Then wow. i asked ask another question I'll ask you another question Just mm-hmm. recently, there was a raid Arranged on Dudumieni's house In mm-hmm. Richards Bay a whole team of hawks go down there with one of the whistleblowers, Richard Luru, in the vehicle with them. They go down to there. They've got a warrant from a judge in the High Court in Gauteng. They get to Richard's Bay. They said, listen, let's just ratify this warrant with a local magistrate as well, so we know we're above board. They do that. They get the ratification from the local magistrate as well. They start the raid. One phone call is made, and the raid is ended. Somebody from the NPA picks up the phone, phones and says, "Stop! Stop the raid immediately on Didi Mieeni."
0: How, how does Britain. it? How does it look from your point of view? You see, ordinary citizens, and I—I I, I mean, I'm—I'm I'm kind of more au fait than the average citizen, but that doesn't mean I know anything compared to what you knew. How does it work in terms of hierarchy? So, if if you if you were looking at South Africa objectively now with the experience that you have inside of Basasa, yes. where you knew how the power hierarchy worked, who were the major players? And I mean, I don't want to put you in a position where you have to either contradict or cause yourself any trouble with the state capture commission. Cause I know that's ongoing, yes. but when you look at this hierarchy and you've obviously thought about it a lot because you've laid it out in two books, who are the most powerful people? during the Zuma administration in South Africa? And how much power did they have? How much could they manipulate things?
1: Well, I think the question is valid now as well. Still the most powerful person, and the person with the most um, most ability to manipulate situations, is Jacob Zuma.
0: Even though he's, even you though he's now, you know, he's pretty much in, in most political... Opinion. He seems to be a bit of a spent force. I mean, he certainly controls certain networks of patronage still, and he's got an enormous amount of of credibility and charm in certain circles. But the guy is kind of a shadow of the the former person he used to be. And those those riots that were supposed to have become a major political instability in June, July fizzled yeah. out very quickly. You would you would struggle to to explain why Jacob Zuma might still be powerful today to anyone who wants to know.
1: But he's still got his tentacles in the judiciary, which is the most important.
0: Ah. So, uh, and, people, people like Dudu, and people like Dudu Mieni, who we, we kind definitely. of wrote her, we wrote her off as being a you know, delinquent director and someone who was stealing money and, and mismanaging SAA. But that's not all there is to her, hey?
1: No, there's much more to her. I mean, she still got a son running around doing deals here and there. I mean, look at the Praza deal... That he did with um, a guy by the name of Cecilia Siopela. Cecilia yes. Siopela and uh, Mjani's um, uh, Talenti Mjani, um, cut a deal there. They made 15 million rand in a day. I mean, we've seen this. It's absolutely ludicrous. You look at you look at these families involved as well. You look at Ngwola uh, Mokonyane. She's so powerful. Mm. It's William Kizer, her brother. Yeah. Look what's happened with yeah. digital vibes. I mean, there I, I exposed. I exposed Vincent Smith for what he was. I went out there, and, and the media, and that's why sometimes I get annoyed with the media, because I was the one who gave all the stories to Media24 about Vincent Smith, and I, I put it out there because I had to get it out there. Mm. Who exposed him? I'd exposed him. Who got arrested for him. I got arrested for him. Yeah. Even though I'd exposed it and opened it up and explained exactly what had happened. But you see, that's the thing. The tentacles in the are still being in the NPA, whether you like it or not. I'll give you an example that um, I was asked Gareth to hold back my trip before I was arrested about two days to meet a specific person that had just been appointed in a very senior position. I'm still waiting for that meeting to take place. I could have helped them. It's great. it's you know if you look at state capture and, and what has happened there and you look at how they've attended to this thing. They've actually let the, the big fish walk,
0: run, swim right? away. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, listen. I mean, you, you'll find no argument from me on that front. It seems that this is the only country where if you do some petty crime, like you, you, know, you, you sell marijuana, for example, you go to a waiting trial prison for years, and then you probably get a sentence in another prison. But the bigger the money is you steal, the less likely you are to ever face any consequences.
1: Of course. Of course,
0: because they know you've got then, money behind you to fight it yeah. legally. And and whistleblowers get punished instead of the criminals themselves. So, the the obvious question that everybody is still talking about is the the death of Gavin Watson, which yeah. I'm I'm very much aware is still something they're they're looking at, although they they don't seem to be making a huge amount of effort there. What what are your thoughts around that? Because that struck a lot of people, even those who are not in the know, as being a very suspicious thing. You know, early in the yep. morning, suddenly there's a car accident. It's near Or Tambo. Um, the investigation is a bit of a mess, evidence goes missing. What do you make of all of that?
1: Um, Gareth, it is, it's a mess. It is a mess. Let me tell you, Fakilin Barula, and I, I've spoken on another show earlier, that Fakilin Barula gave a commitment to South Africa and said, I'm going to go investigate this. Jacob Zuma stood up at Gavin Watson's funeral and said, I'm going to investigate this. Ac- accusations were made against me that I was involved with the murder, and that I had the cell phone and all that. Absolute bullshit. Excuse my friend, mm-hmm. sorry. An mm-hmm. absolute bull, okay? So what I did was, I did a little bit of investigation on myself. I got a couple of forensic people together. I got mm-hmm. the first respondents that were there. I made sure I got the right people, spoke to them, sat with them, and I said, right, fine. What I'd like is the photos first, and I would like you to tell me what you think. And I put it out clearly in the book. That's why I had a QR code that people could scan and actually analyze it. I don't want to make the final decision. I'm not a forensic pathologist. My question is very simple. Where was he lost?
0: See? No.
1: Too many questions. One question is, Papa Le says, Gavin Watson had a problem with the BMW X5. And that's why he came to the office to borrow the uh, driver's car or the the courier car, the car. What I used to call the courier car which was a small Toyota Corolla and mm-hmm. um, the Toyota Corolla was used that day only by Gavin Watson because the next thing is Jared Watson his nephew says no no Gavin had not been driving his BMW X5 had it been parked for months since the liquidators took over so how is that possible Papa says no the car was in for the problems so it had to go for repairs Luckily, Mm. I was the one who bought that car, so I went to the dealership and asked, can you see if there's any problems, you know, with BMW Connect, they can basically log into the car. There's absolutely no problems with that BMW X5.
0: Right. Okay,
1: so that's the first question. The second thing, and I put it out on the the slides in the QR code, if you have a look at the Toyota's battery, what happened to the battery? It's just one aspect. There's a lot of little aspects. Mm. Have a look at the wounds on the neck. Have a look at the blood loss. Have a look at the shoes. Uh, Gareth, I bought him a pair of uh, Church's shoes, I used to buy his shoes and his, his clothes and that for him, um, he had very specific taste. Church's shoes from London had a double buckle on it, yet in mm-hmm. the photo, the the shoes are off but the buckles are done. It's really strange. So- How would you take the shoes of a dead man?
0: So what, What I mean, I don't want to rush you into this, but people must buy the book and read it themselves because they, there's ample, uh, you know, openings and closings of questions and answers here. But what do you think happened? I mean, what do you think actually took place on that day? Because it remains very mysterious. Well, it is very
1: mysterious. And um, there's been a cover-up. Uh, let's put it this way. I don't think it was the, the accident scene is the second scene.
0: And, what do you uh, mean? You I mean, I... Uh, Help me, help yep. me understand this. I know we're jumping the gun, and you and you're now yeah. theorizing, but, uh, but this is what people love, right? Everybody loves a good crime and a good mystery. So, what's your, what's your, if you were the detective in this story, well, how would you put this together?
1: Uh, I would look at. I would, Gareth, it would be wrong for me to actually spoil spoil the, the book because that is one of the critical areas in the book. Where mm. I don't want to make the decision for the people, but I do give you enough clues. And I paint the picture, and I have the forensic evidence there, comparative, that you can then make the decision.
0: What about these people who say, "No, oh, Gavin Watson's still alive? I mean, that's bullshit, Nonsense. right? Nonsense. God. Nonsense. Is and, and, and are they all still, um, are they still in business, the Watsons? Are they still trying to keep it together? Are they still um, they, getting involved?
1: They have, in- they have a wildlife um, kind of uh, family estate. Um, just outside Port Elizabeth, Port Royalston. I don't know if mm-hmm. anybody buys an um, estate out there or would do business with them. Um, you know, th- so they run that, I believe. I don't know what other businesses they run, uh, but, you know, I haven't been. Because haven't you, been you would expect,
0: them. I mean, you'd expect they'd be largely disgraced now and for all the right reasons. You know, the whole family were, were, were pretty rotten and, and Gavin was the most rotten of them all. So it, it, it filters down into them, whether they like it or not. You know, if your dad's a crook and you're living off of his money, then you're, you're, you're an accessory to crime, whether you like it or not. Yes. This is the thing. This is the thing I wish the ANC would realize is that if someone in the barrel is rotten and that money's going to everybody else, you're all rotten. But, but Gareth,
1: who was at his funeral? Who was up to these accolades? Yeah. Jacob Zuma and Numbula Mokunyani came out of mourning.
0: Yeah. This,
1: is, this was taboo for her to come out of mourning to admonish um, Jacob Zuma. Uh, let's, go, yeah. let's take it a step further. It's not a problem with the ANC, but also with educated, what we think are educated people out there. I don't know if you got to see Kevin Wakeford's testimony.
0: Yes, I did a little bit of it.
1: He says well. You were like me. I switched it off after a while, and said I'm boring. No, but it was testing me, was concerning. All he had to do was to tell everybody how bad I was and that, what a what a yeah. um, egotistical asshole I was. When in actual fact, all I asked him to do was answer a couple of questions. Is the man did the man receive cement or not? Simple.
0: You know, um what bothered me about the whole state capture thing is it all yes. seemed to be subject to a very inconsequential, stupid and pointless discussion over whether or not you were a racist. Mm-hmm. Now, I know racism gets newspapers selling and it gets people talking in the streets and it gets uh, a lot of very stupid people very excited because racism is still, you know, it's such a rare thing these days that we have to invent That's it, good. where we don't find it. and And... Honestly, although there are a lot of people who probably deserve to be called racist and there are some people who genuinely have very racist ideas, it's, it's so rare now they have to manufacture it instead of, instead of actually report on it. So with you, they created this whole side story about what a racist you were in order to make you seem like you lacked credibility with regard really? to your your testimony around actual facts with regard to Busassa and it seems like it's the last card some people have to play i mean i've been called a racist you've been called a racist pretty much anyone who's worth their salt in the world has at this stage been called it and it doesn't seem to have any sting anymore like most people don't care i mean certainly none of the of the of the black people who i respect and considered to be honorable people, have any interest in when other people throw around the term racist. But that was a whole side story. And you had to apologize for being a racist. You had to say that you'd done therapy to overcome this stuff. I mean, in the end, that's a whole lot of bullshit and completely unrelated to the story. And, you know, you're
1: 100% right. What I did was I said to, and Judge Zolder was actually very good there, and, and he said, he said, you know, let's separate the two. And uh, yeah. let's see uh, exactly what needs to happen. I've done my stint for the racist issue. I've apologized. I came out. I didn't deny it. I was open and honest. And that's the one thing mm-hmm. you can see about me, Garrett. Even in the book, everything is backed up with the QR code. If I say sure. it, it's black, it's black. Trust me. Go and look at the QR code. If the QR mm-hmm. code says it's white, I tell you what, every single book, throw in the dustbin, and I've lost, I've lost whatever i put into it. Okay? Right. But the fact of the matter is you're 100% right. People are using that as a crutch. Take it away. I said this morning to somebody, I said, you know, they didn't seem to stop using the race thing. It's been 27 years or 26 years now. Kule Mabe stood in front of everybody and told everybody mm-hmm. what a self-confessed racist I am. Well, Pule Mabe, come answer now and tell me what have you done about corruption yeah. in this country.
0: What well, you it, how, how, do you, how do you feel about uh, seeing that the ANC has no money at the moment? Because they relied so heavily on donations from the likes of Bussasa. In fact, you guys probably, I say you guys because you were a part of Busasa at the time, you probably bankrolled a whole lot of their electioneering and their campaigning. Um, no, certainly, no. they. We, we know now they couldn't do it without that kind of funding. And, and suddenly, they, they have no money to even pay their own people at the Thule House. Well,
1: well you know... Gareth, the one thing is I always distance myself. You'll never see me in a picture with a politician. You'll see you'll see the Watsons, you'll see the directors, you'll no. see people like Cecilia Sia Pela. Those are the people there. I would never be there. When it came down to the elections, the managing of the elections, I distanced myself from it. But yes, you're hundred percent right. Posassa ran the elections for 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 no. the ANC.
0: Yeah. So how does it feel Thanks. now to look, to, to see them now not, not able to pay for posters? You don't see any ANC posters up anywhere. Well, you know, they the don't have, you... they don't have money for free t-shirts and, and all of that, uh, tender money that they were giving to you that you gave a little bit back. I say you, Sasa, I mean, um, so that they could pay for this stuff. Uh, fools. They've, they've, they've come out, uh, poorer at the end than they were at the beginning.
1: You're hundred percent right. hundred percent right. What are you? They're probably they're probably knocking at the door at the moment of the Watson saying, Well, you know, now what? I mean previously it was easy. Give them fifty million Rand, write that a check, Angela, for six million yeah. Rand.
0: You know? Sure. Scary. I, th- what I love about the book too is the way that you've actually got screenshots of all the the, okay. the WhatsApp con the WhatsApp conversations. You know, yes. it is a it's it's great to be alive at a time where technology can help us or can can cause trouble for us. But it's also great if you're writing a book like this and people keep saying, oh, no, you, that's not true, you can't prove that. And you can actually show them the, the date-time-stamped screenshots of WhatsApp yes. conversations. It makes your job a whole lot easier as someone who just wants to tell the truth or wants to tell the story as you see it.
1: Well, you know, that's why I did it. And people at first were very, I mean, my editor was very annoyed with me because I'm going with twenty four color pages of storyboards there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what yeah, the heck yeah, yeah. are you, doing? Let me show you this. And uh, yeah and I said no it's I, I want to do it. I want people to see what is out there. I want people to understand that when I say there was an offer of fifty million rand to us to keep quiet, we rejected it. There was an offer of fifty million rand. What did we do? We said no thank you. People didn't know that. People you know, the, the problem, uh, Gareth, is that not everybody knows the detail that goes with it as well. Right? Not only the normal people like you and me, but even right at the top echelons. They don't actually understand that. You see, they've been fed stories. They don't know the mm. facts. They don't know the truth. Maybe they don't want to know the truth. Maybe they still captured. Maybe that's why they, they you know, going away from the truth. I made a call mm. on the JJ Talani show. I said to him, you know, JJ... Why don't they unpack every single B deal that the Watsons have done? Every yep. single one of them. And I guarantee you that it all filters down. And the whites, not, not not the Blacks, the Whites mm. are getting all the money. Mm. I was there. I was, it's part of the fact. I don't know well, if Sony's own book turns around and puts it out.
0: This is the most embarrassing thing about it. Is it. it the ANC, and remember, they're two sides. They're two hands that have to shake in order for these crooked transactions to take place the one part is some greedy businessman and the other part is the greedy politician but no one no one else benefits from that it's it's all the way down that the people who are meant to get service delivery and who are meant to be on the receiving end of, of of social grants and everything else they just get the scraps they if they're lucky sometimes they get nothing at all it's amazing to me how easy it was, and I said this at the beginning of the interview. I just have to reiter- reiterate it because it's 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 the most embarrassing part of this in my mind. If someone like Nonvula Mokonyane, or Zwelim Kize or whoever else you dealt with, would do what they did and put themselves in the firing line and put themselves in the line of criminal charges for five hundred million rand, you would say, okay, yeah. great, you know that's that's an opportunity once in a lifetime. And after that, you take your money, you go to Costa Rica and you never get heard from again. That's the smart move. But these yeah. guys are so, they're so dumb. And I mean, where Gavin Watson is also in some ways dumb because he just didn't have an, any moral backbone. But these guys are dumb in a different way. They're like, well, we'll take five million rand or we'll take a ba- bag of groceries or we'll take, you know, the scraps off the table. Mm-hmm. But, but we won't go to Costa Rica. We'll stay here and keep trying to do this and think we we'll get away with it. It's so it's a fact. Amateurish. It's, a fact. it's so
1: it's amateurish. amateurish. I couldn't agree more. And that's why, you know, if you're in that situation, you actually don't realize that you actually start accepting that this is the norm. This is normal. Because our business gets done. That's the problem we have. And I think they start accepting that this is the way things get done. I will give you a classic example where William Tash will turn around and say, oh, "Well, the, the actual camera system didn't cost six hundred thousand rand; it only cost two hundred thousand rand." But hello, there's still two hundred thousand rand you shouldn't have had.
0: Just tell me, tell me about this yeah. poisoning plot because this is where I get yeah. really upset. Is yeah. you know, it, it's all good and well for people to say, "Oh, he, you know, you're a liar or you're a whistleblower who's got your own." Uh, agenda here or whatever. And that's all good and well. I think a lot yeah. of us can understand that we have to treat everyone with suspicion. And and I want to give the option to anyone who disagrees with anything that you've said here to come back to us with any additional information so that they can say, oh, well, Angelo's talking shit and I'll show you how. But yeah. to me, the really scary part of this is that they, they tried to kill you. Yes. And you're still, you're wearing this oxygen uh, on your nose yeah. right now. You're, you're still uh, struggling with your health. You'll never be the same again. You very nearly died. They tried to kill you. Tell us how that happened when you were in hospital.
1: Garrett, before, before I even go there, you know, this is, this is my office, but it's also my medical mm. station. And I, yes. I just want to show you quickly, all right, what I have to do right. every day of my life. Right. Okay. So, okay. so I can just quickly unplug here. I'm going to switch my camera around just so you can. Oh, I'll carry it around like this. But unfortunately, this is my life. And if you have a look here, that is, I don't know if you can see that. Okay. That's my, can you see that, Gareth? Okay, so that's my daily routine. That's where it all starts. Okay. Those are the medicines that I have to take every single morning. That there is my oxygen, the backup, and that type of thing. In this cupboard here, I have my medicine, which I take. That's morning medicine. This is my evening bed. Jesus,
0: that's a lot of medication.
1: My evening bed, Darren. But he's even packed for me. You know, it's easy to say. They're, they're all packed, really. <sighs> and for tonight. Um, you know, it's, it's very easy. Sorry about that, Darren. Um, no, no, no. Um, no I'm Gareth, interested. I'm... Gareth, I keep calling you Darren. Because <laughs> <my> <laughs>
0: it's all right. That doesn't matter. Darren. Um, no problem.
1: Um, but, but basically, that's the life I live. And, and, you know, it's so easy for anybody to say, yeah, but, you know, he's putting it on in there. I did not put myself in ICU for 52 yeah. days. Firstly, if I had done that, the medical aid would have kicked up a fuss because my bills mm-hmm. are sitting at about 4 million rand already. Um, secondly, no doctor in his right mind would keep somebody in ICU for 52 days.
0: and Just for, the for show. Yeah, of course.
1: Why would they do that? Secondly, um, there's absolutely no ways on this earth Right, that I could put this on, or just—I mm. mean, I was on dialysis for twenty-four-seven for the first fifty days. I you, you know, have,
0: nothing. you have, you have pictures of the, the security guard, the correctional services yes. guard outside. Um, w- w- did you ever find out, kind of, who these people were?
1: You, you know, know, Gareth, we, we've tried to get information from the Department of Health from correctional yeah. services. I'll give you a simple mm-hmm. example. We have had to apply, putting in a prior um, application to try and get some information of what happened to me. I even published letters that I sent to the doctors that apparently treated me at baraguana because I was left mm-hmm. to die baraguana. It's by yes. chance that somebody picked up that I must have a private doctor and then got hold of the lawyers and then transferred me. And the correctional services told everybody you know, his family requested him to be transferred. That is so untrue. My family didn't mm-hmm. know where I was. But, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, what happened that night, and it's in the book, I don't want to go into too much detail, but I'll give you a simple scenario. I'm going to put another picture. I put all my blood tests up on the mm-hmm. QR codes, every single one of them. Everybody yeah. can go into them. I've redacted my ID number and my address, but you can go through mm-hmm. the blood tests as much as you want. Have a look at them. Um, right. I've, I've put it up there for everybody to see. I've put up there... The comments from one of the doctors on the histopathic hyster- uh, report where they did a whole thing, and they said there's definitely been some chemical irritant. Um, it's all up there, so you can see it. And, and for the cynics out there, yes, maybe I'm putting it on. Maybe I'm putting it on. Uh, I just find it very difficult to, have to keep up a show like this for nearly eight months. Not,
0: not, not, not. Well, you know, the real cynics will say, well, Shabir Sheikh is still putting on a show for, you know, upwards yeah. of, uh, what is it, 12, 14 years now, and nobody believes a, a word he says. So, Angelo, how about your own your own life, your personal life, your family, yes. your friends? What's happened to that? Because that's something while this book is fascinating and the story is is really intriguing and it's terrifying in some places, and you've put lots of evidence in here, I feel like there's, there's a lot that you've left out because it's personal, because it hurts, because it's changed your life, because it's hurt people around you who weren't involved. And the decision to become a whistleblower is a tough one because you're not just thinking about yourself.
1: No, no, of course. And, and I think the impact on my family has been widespread. Um, you know, even, even the fact that I walked my daughter down the aisle um, for a wedding, I took off my oxygen and I had a whole team there to help me. And I walked... Mm. The aisle was 50 meters long, and I walked maybe 15 meters before the, the pastor and my son-in-law realized, listen, he's not going to make it. Let's go fetch him. And they brought the oxygen pipe to me immediately. But immediately, I mean, people were then making comments that it was seen in France without oxygen. It's totally untrue. Um, uh, at the end of the day, uh, my life has been messed up, but I've committed and I've, I've given my life to sorting this out, to unpacking state capture. To unpacking what had happened and uh, Gareth, I'm, I'm not gonna rest until it's all done properly. Um, are they all, are they all
0: okay? I mean I are are they are they with you on this?
1: No, I the they are. No they are. They fully back. me. I mean we have we have differences of opinion now and again, like any good Italian family would we have our arguments <laughs> and that. And uh, you know we we have our, but we are very close as a family thank God. So
0: to, to wrap this up, because I do encourage people who are interested in this story, and if you're not interested in this story, I don't know where you've been living because it's it's central to South Africa and our own national story over the past 10 years. Um, to wrap it up, what's the best case scenario for you for South Africa going forward and for, for all these revelations that are being made at the State Capture Commission? What would you like them to do from here on? Are you, like the rest of us, only going to be satisfied when you see ANC, and business people in orange overalls in prison? And do you think that's ever likely to happen? Or do you think in the worst case scenario, this is all futile? In which case, why did you do it?
1: It's a question, it's a question I debate every single day of my life. Is South Africa going to come right and was this all futile? Um, unfortunately, you know, we haven't given Zondo enough time to come up with his report. Now, I honestly believe that he's a sincere man and he's doing a great job. And I honestly believe, Gareth, that we're going to see some, some work come out of the commission. I, I know the people there, they're, they're, they're committed, the investigators, people like Frank Tutton, um, you know, they're committed people. I think something's going to happen. I really do. I don't know if we'll get convictions in that. Quite honestly, I have my own opinion on whether it will be worthwhile even for trying to convict everybody. But maybe what, what we should look at is, is taking this as a lesson, and um, getting the money back from those people—that to me would be the best. I don't see us getting convictions. Our justice system is just too slow and just too lethargic to be able to do
0: that. I, I certainly hope for you and for all of us that you're right, and and I do hope something comes of this. I think Judge Zonda is trying his best. It must be the most horrible job, you know. I keep thinking what an awful, awful That's, day he has ahead of him every day, and it just seems never-ending.
1: No. And it doesn't seem ending, does it? Dave? Which, no. I mean, I'm busy right now. Right now, I'm doing an affidavit for the Zonda Commission on another matter. Um, so you know, it doesn't <laughs> seem to end, does it? Dave? And crazy. have you have you
0: got have you got some money? I mean, have you have you got money to live? Because obviously, you can't work now. There's there's very little you can do with your time except put a book together, put two books together, and and yeah. talk to people like me. The rest would be very difficult for you. you can't go to the office or anything.
1: Well, there's not much left. I mean, we had to look after 48 whistleblowers families. I mean, there's people, there's kids that needed to go to school. There's um, food that needed to be put on the table. There was some medical aids we had to pay for people. So, yeah, no, it's been very, very tight. And, and we've got a good team. We've tried. I mean, we've disposed of most of our assets, most of our pension funds and that um, in the fight. I mean, it's a massive fight. Um, what I do is I, I try and do some talks and some motivational things. Um, but 90% of the times, I don't charge them anyways. Yeah. So, yes, we got it. We, we are busy with one or two projects that we hopefully will get off, off the line in terms of marketing and that. And, uh, yeah, we you know, we, we try. We're we survivors. We, we're not uh, victims. We're all survivors.
0: Well, congratulations on your second book and, and on Thank the first you. one. The first book is called Inside the Belly of the Beast by Angelo Grizzi, And the second one is Surviving the Beast. Amazing, amazing work. Um, listen, man, all I can say is I'm sorry that you've, you've had to to do all of this. I'm sorry that you had to work with these terrible people. And I'm sorry that you had to deal with all these corrupt politicians, but thank God you've had the balls to come forward and, and, and tell the story, um, as, as difficult as everybody's tried to make it for you. I, I have no interest in whether or not you would be making up that you're sick to me. Uh, the, the work of whistleblowing isn't in character assassination after the fact just because you don't like what the whistleblower says. It's about the fact that they have the, the, the temerity, the gumption and the confidence to step forward and say yes. something when everybody else is telling them, if you do this, we'll kill you. And they tried with you and you've survived. A few times. So you've, yeah. done a, you've, you've survived longer than Gavin Watson. Power to you.
1: Thank you very much, Gareth. It's been a pleasure chatting to you and sharing, sharing my story.
0: Thank I you, Angela. It. Good luck. Good luck with your health. Good luck with the books. And uh, again, I encourage anyone who has any questions or if you think Angelo is full of shit, you tell me and, uh, you know, we, we can send it to him. He's happy to answer, I'm sure. I, I
1: would be glad to answer it. we we'll have a cup of coffee with a person. <laughs> I've done it with the dreads of society. I can tell <laughs> anybody.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much, man. Lovely uh, to you. speak to you and have a, have a good day. Thank, Thank you, Angelo. You too. Ciao, ciao. Very good.